Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, ClarkDeals.com. That's where you go to get all the bargains. Okay, got to talk about some something pretty deep and serious later this hour, and that is this unbelievably large IOU we have as Americans with the massive federal budget deficit and the projections going forward are really nasty. The politicians aren't talking about it because they know you don't want to hear it. I'm sorry, I'm not running for office. I'm going to tell you the things you need to think about with this and how it affects your future. If you have kids, their future. That's coming up later. I want to give you a tip that you got to be fully aware of. And it is a bait and switch from American and United and then to a lesser extent from Delta. The three full fare airlines are having a difficult time dealing with the mid-price carriers that offer vastly superior service to them. Airlines like JetBlue, Alaska, Southwest, and then they are being twisted into a pretzel by the really, really cheap fares offered by the hard discounters that don't have a great (laughs) air product, and that's Spirit, Frontier, and Allegiant. So if I'm a full fare airline with my massive cost structure, I'm having a tough time figuring out how do I compete against the superior service and moderately lower fares of JetBlue, Southwest, and Alaska? And then how do I deal at all with the fares from these ultra, ultra cheap airlines that, well, they're not exactly excelling in customer service, but the fares are unbelievable. My brother, my oldest brother and his wife, recently took a flight from Arizona to Washington, D.C. for $22 each on Frontier. And then they paid some baggage fees and all that. They got their fares up to, it was like, I think nearly $70 they topped out at to cross the country. That's really cheap. So American United and Delta, in order to show up better, And the fare searches you're doing online have come out with a product, a miserable product called Basic Economy. And what they did is they sat around their conference tables and they said, how can we make flying worse for people? And so they came up with Basic Economy. And particularly in the case of American and United, they are doing this in a way that all they do is alienate people. So with any of them, you can't have a seat assignment. You're pretty much certain to have a middle seat. You can't change your ticket under any circumstances, even for a fee. And the fares show up in a multi-airline search where they show lower than the fare you'd really want. So if you're at the airline's websites... What they do is they use it as a classic bait and switch. They get you where they say, okay, we're going to fly you from blah to blah for $110. 
and then all these warnings will pop up. You know, you should really buy this other fare for 170 because this fare, we're not going to do this to you. We're not going to do that to you. We're not going to do this other thing to you and on and on. And so the whole idea is to show up on those fare searches that, that most people now do on the multi-airline search engines like google.com slash flights and kayak.com and then if you use Expedia, Travelocity, anything like that, showing up on the, those searches with a better price so you, they don't always look really expensive. So then a lot of times people are buying these tickets at third-party sites and you don't know all the things that are going to happen to you. And this is where American and United, I'm very frustrated with you because people are showing up at the gates and one of the things that American and United are doing is people don't realize you cannot take a carry-on on the plane. And then they charge you a huge last-minute fee at the gate and then they charge you a penalty on top of it for having shown up at the gate at all with that bag so someone who thought they were getting some kind of good deal they're stuck in a lousy fare that's specifically designed to be as mean to you as possibly can be and then to add insult to injury charge you these massive fees so know how this game is played when you're looking at fair searches Know that the American United and Delta fares that show up are fake fares. They are before all the additional charges. And to give you an idea how important this is to the airlines, there is, you never see this in a newspaper. I read the Financial Times every day, except Sunday when they don't publish. And they have a full page article on the fare strategies of the airlines with a special focus on the American full fare airlines and how important the fee income is as an example United after you bought the ticket makes another so let's say you pay $100 for a fare on average they make another 17 on all the gotchas you didn't know were going to happen to you and that's kind of in the range of what it is with the full fare airlines, though United's the worst. But overall, the prize in Europe and America goes to, drum roll please, imaginary drum roll, Spirit. If you buy a ticket at Spirit for $100, the average person will end up paying $145. 45% in add-on fees after the purchase of a non-refundable ticket. And they have perfected this to an art to advertise a really cheap fare. And before you realize, everything else is extra. Again, with Spirit, though, if you buy at spiritair.com, it is clear as could be that they're going to fee you to death. And they tell you every single screen before you bought a non-refundable ticket. The problem comes, again, if you buy at a third-party website, you don't know but now you do. Lisa's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly, Lisa. You 
have a travel issue buying a hotel room? What happened? Well, I went through one of these sites. Um, I, I had looked at some three- and four-star hotels in Washington, or in, in a city for me and my husband. You're going and, to Washington, uh, D.C.? Yes, Washington, D.C. And um, we found some hotel rooms, but I wanted to check a, kind of a third-party site and see what kind of deals they had going on. And it looked like we could get a four-star hotel for the same price as a three-star hotel. So we booked one of these um hot deals they had going on and um when the reservation came through because they don't tell you which hotel it is when the reservation came through it was actually for a three-star hotel and um wait so uh so we've got to be talking about hot wire right all right so do you know how i automatically knew you were talking about hot wire um hot deal (laughs) no no because one of my beefs about hot wire forever has been that they inflate the star level on their hotels that they will they'll list something as a four star and you just know it's going to be a full star less you see something that's a three star be wary because it's going to be a two star and if you ever book a two star you better put furniture up against the door when you get in the room and so i it's it's been a complaint of mine for I don't know, 10 years? I don't know how long Hotwire's been around. That's always been a complaint I've had. So they, yeah. so they tell you you're booking a four-star, you book the room, and then you check, and it's well, not a four-star at all. Right. This was actually a hotel that we had looked at, so I knew it was a three-star, so we went back, and the rate through the hotel itself was cheaper than what we were paying through Hotwire. So... Um, I, I called and I had to go up through the different levels and, you know, I thought it was a glitch that they would fix, but um, they had the same kind of thing. They said, we use the same star system as other third parties in our chain. We don't, U.S., the U.S. doesn't have a standard star system, so we can choose to inflate it. And I said, well, I actually checked Google and Wikipedia and called the hotel and even the hotel itself says it is a three star. And they basically said that does not matter to them. Well, well, okay, so one thing, you know you're not actually talking to anybody at Hotwire. You're talking to a contract call center. Who knows where in the world you were talking to somebody. Okay. But they do have, uh, the fact that they told you you were going to be in a four-star and it's really not, um, I'm so glad you brought this up because everybody needs to know it. The one thing they will do is they'll refund you the difference between what it would have been at another site. But think about how they undermine their reputation when you should never book at a blind site like Hotwire and Priceline and find a hotel, that same hotel, cheaper somewhere else. That should never happen. So all they'll do for you is they'll give you the difference. Well, they didn't even offer that. They didn't offer the difference at first. The first agent said that she would find another four-star hotel, but again, it would be going blindly, so she couldn't guarantee it was four-star. And when I asked if I could just cancel it on my credit card, or they said, if you do that, the words are such in this contract that you signed that whether or not you stay, you'll be charged. All right, so, so let me tell you, you shouldn't be doing it with that outside contract service anyway. There's a procedure. Okay. I'm looking at it right now. I pulled it up just... I went to Hotwire... After I figured out that's who you were talking about, and I found immediately under their help center 
how you submit a refund request. And okay. there's, a, there's a simplified procedure to do it online. But, okay. But I'm calling Hotwire out. I'm calling you out again, Hotwire. I've done it on TV as well. Fix this. Stop. Stop being dishonest with people. And if uh, it, and it is true what you were told, so it's not illegal what they said because there is no system in the United States like is used in other countries where there's a centralized authority that rates hotels and grants them stars. And so in many countries in the world, when you get to a hotel, a hotel must post the placard of the authority that issues the stars and we don't have any equivalent so there can be all different kinds of ratings but the fact is if a hotel itself doesn't even claim to be four stars no excuse for hotwire and i would say they cheated you plain and simple and years ago under prior ownership i talked to the ceo about it face to face and i said don't do this if you want to build a business don't do this obviously i didn't know what i was talking about because they built a business just fine even though i felt that what they were doing was misleading try to try the process they, have they given you a refund yet or do you need to move to that step no i've gone up through three levels okay so forget forget talking to the humans and I've also sent an email, but no reply. All right, so send the specialized one that's on the help center for the refund. I want to hear back from you, Lisa, because this is plain and simply unacceptable, Hotwire. If you're going to list a star level, don't fake it. Debbie is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Debbie. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Debbie. You have a Costco question wrapped up with credit cards and insurance. How do we tie those three things all together in one call? Well, I'd like some help deciding whether it's worth risking an increase in my homeowners and auto insurance premiums when I apply for a Costco visa. So I'd love to take advantage of their rich cashback offer but given what happened last year, I'm afraid that I'm going to have to pay a very high price. So I had two major credit cards with a limit of about $5,000 when I changed um, insurance companies in August of 2016. And then in October of that year, I applied for another major credit card to take advantage of an in-store discount. Um, And then in June of this year, 2017, when my annual premium notice came, it showed an increase of about 30%. All right, so uh, 30% increase. It's very suspect to me that that would be about you applying for another card because an application for another card should usually pinch your credit score somewhere around uh, 12 points, just as kind of an average so that would not have led to uh, you being suddenly assessed as a really high risk. Have you okay. have you checked your credit score recently? I I did, and there was nothing suspect on it. And what um, number was your score? 
Uh, at the time, it was about 750. Um, Which, TransUnion and Equifax showed slightly different numbers, but the average. At, that, at a score like that, that would not be why your credit, why your insurance went up 30 percent. So you need to have a conversation with your insurer. There may have been something where they had trouble checking your score. Who knows? Because that's not the reason your premium went up, and you would not suffer same if you were to get the Costco Visa card. That would not lead to any subsequent increase. There is some alternative reason why your insurance went up so very much. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where you learn to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. Clark.com slash ask is where you go to post a question for me. You want to ask a question off the air? That's great. It's free. You can talk with a member of our team. Clark.com, scroll down that main screen you first come to on the left-hand side. You'll see the phone number, hours available for off-air advice. It's 45 hours per week for the free off-air advice. So in your own household, your own life, what happens to you if you spend more than what you make? You borrow and you borrow until your finances collapse. Well, we in the United States have hit an inauspicious position. The national debt is now $20 trillion one hundred seventy billion nine hundred eighty two million and change when numbers get that big we lose perspective on them it's hard for us to really see the enormity of it but when you think about twenty trillion plus dollars that's twenty thousand billion dollars and so we as americans are in a position where we're taking on more and more debt. So the debt per breathing American is now, this is what each of us owe, including a babe in arms born in a hospital today, or if you're really modern or backward thinking. Is it modern thinking, forward thinking, or backward thinking when you have a birth at home? It's the new thing to do from the old days. Anyway, however your baby's born and everybody around $62,000 per person. So let's say you have whatever money you have. Maybe you don't have any money. Whatever whatever you have, you minus at $62,000 your share of the ledger for what we as a country owe on the debt that we have borrowed And the budget deficits in the United States are going up and up and up. So both our political parties, because this is true with the Democrats, and now with the Republicans, the deficits are rising even quicker than they did with the Democrats. We are spending money we don't have, borrowing additional money on top of what we've already borrowed. And... The consequence down the road, everybody can talk about wasteful government spending and taxes and all that. The reality is we need to live within our means. 
We need to live within our means. Because if we don't, and we keep doing what we're doing, what happens is we weaken America and the world, and we ultimately lose power to others in the world. We don't want to be more powerful than us. We have been the preeminent country in, on this earth ever since the end of World War II. And that is a position of strength that we have had in the world. And we are going to squander it if we don't learn to discipline ourselves collectively as a country. It's just what it is. There are 325 million of us, and we owe this 62,000 and climbing. So when you hear all the sound bites, and when you hear the politicians, you hear people on in political talk radio, you hear people on TV, on the political stations, regardless of your political persuasion, left, right, something else, whatever you are, know that so much of what they talk about is drama and distortion. And what we need to be about is focusing on our great country. And we need to keep it a great country And that requires that it's not always about handing out candy from Washington. We have to figure out how we are going to pay for the benefits we want and what benefits we're willing to give up so that we don't have to pay so much in taxes. It requires an honest adult conversation. And sadly, I don't hear that. And I want to say one thing about the political discourse in the country. I do not have enemies among my fellow Americans. We are all Americans together. And I find it very upsetting when people dehumanize other Americans simply because of what their political beliefs are or their religion or their skin color or their political philosophies, or anything like that. We are all in this great United States together, and it's up to us in these United States, united to make the country stronger and to solve problems together that cannot be solved in isolation and cannot be solved with derision for people we don't always see eye to eye with. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, John. Hi, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, John. You have a situation involving your home, your insurer, and your bank. So how do all those play together? Well, it's not necessarily my bank. This uh, May, we had a hailstorm that damaged my house, uh, mostly my roof. And I had submitted a claim with my insurance company, and they sent out the adjuster who evaluated, approved, and uh, started sending me money. Uh, We looked at the mortgage company because the check was also made out to them, and uh, 
part of their instructions was that we were going to have to send it to a third party. Oh. Um, okay, yeah. I, I'm familiar with that. Uh, go ahead, because I'll tell you how that all plays. Right. Well, I, I, I talked to them uh, the other day, the mortgage company, and I sa- uh, they said, well, up to a certain point, you know, we'll go ahead and just uh, uh, sign off on the check and send it back to you. But after you get above 20000 then we want to hold on to your money. And, I, and, and we use this third company or this third party, this uh, website, that you can go through. And I did a little research on them, and every review I saw said that they dragged their feet, lost your paperwork, you had to resubmit everything three and four times before they, you know, finally got it. And uh, I was kind of like, well, is this exactly what I have to do, or is there anything else that, uh, do I have any other options? Yeah, so what the mortgage lender is doing is they don't have people on the ground in your area that handle... Uh, these check approvals. What happens is when there's a catastrophic loss at a house, the insurer doesn't, I mean, the mortgage company, the bank that holds your mortgage doesn't want to sign that over, have you not do the work, and then you just have the money, and then their interest in the home isn't as well protected if the if the collateral they have isn't in good shape. So that's why they right. do it, and, and lenders use different thresholds 2025 is a common number. Yours was 20,000. And so then when they don't have their own people available to do it, they farm it out to low bidder. And so the low bidder, in order to make the contract pay, takes on too much work. And the people at the third-party service are overwhelmed. And that's why people end up waiting and waiting and having to resubmit and all that. So what I recommend with these third-party companies is that you send in documentation every time by certified mail. Okay. So Just keep sending them the paperwork over and over again? If that becomes necessary. But if you start by sending it by certified mail and someone signed for it, you do return receipt requested, it's really hard for them to say, well, you didn't submit this, that, or the other. Mm-hmm. And have copies of everything you submit. And paper them over if you need to. You know, a a lot of times these third-party servicers still use, believe it or not, fax machines. Okay. And and so if you have to fax them, you fax them. I I might send it every possible way you can. Do you know, have you talked to anybody at this third party? Do they assign you an individual to handle this? Uh, no, I haven't talked to them yet. I haven't reached that threshold. I'm still dealing with the uh, mortgage company. Okay. So uh, there but, is no strategy or way I know around the mortgage company third-partying this. It's just okay. your strategy is to make sure you keep completely accurate records and documentation of when you've sent something electronically by the old-fashioned 90s way of a fax and the way way old where you go to the post office and spend a few dollars to send certified right now the alternative if it's more convenient for you is to send ups or fedex ground then you've got full tracking all the way through i wish i could give you a way around it but i can't let's hope they behave for you Nikhil is with us on the clark howard show 
And Nikhil, you want to talk about policy genius. That's right, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I'm a huge fan of yours and, and follow you. almost all advice you give it on, on air. It's such a pleasure to talk to you right now. Thank you so much. So here's the situation. Um, I'm uh, um, in the mid of uh, mid 40s, um, mid 30s, with 38 uh, precise, and my wife is 36. I'm looking for a level term life insurance based on your recommendations. Um, and I was trying to get some quotes on policy gen- um, genius. And what I come across is there are two options on policy types. One is the level term, which is flat level 30 fixed rate. And the other one is level term with written off premium. So that's the interesting part. When I looked at it, definitely the premium is significantly high. But is it like 20 percent higher or is it more than that? Uh, not really. The per month premium would be roughly around three times. Huh? Yes. Wow. So what right. return of premium is, just so people will be aware, there are a small number of insurers that will sell you a term policy that if you outlive the coverage period, not only have you lived longer than the coverage period, but they'll return all the money to you that you paid. Right. So here is the, the, the thing. The life expectancy in my family, especially the males, are, are beyond 70 years. So if I'm taking 30 years, I would be um, out of coverage around 68 and expected to be okay and hopefully be able to get the money back. So that's a, all good because I'm putting right now, I'll get the, the refund back. Now, my question is not really what coverage I'm getting. The question is, what would be the tax implication when I get that uh, the lump sum amount written? Well, it's your own money back, years. so there is no tax owed that I'm aware of, although 30 years from now the tax code could work quite differently. But return a premium, I am not aware of that being taxable because it's money you already paid in that's being sent back to you. Okay. There may be, uh, I guess at some point it could be interpreted that you got something for it that uh, you should have paid for and that the, that there's a difference that's taxed, but I've not heard of it being a taxable event. Okay. And the premium which I pay every month or lump sum in annually, is it a tax deductible? Is it tax deductible? Yeah. No, only in the event that it was a business that owned it and it was legitimate business expenses, key person insurance. And, and we've just verified that as for now, there's no taxation on return of premium. Okay, sounds good. All right, but as to whether return of premium is a good idea or not, uh, they can give you a decent return on your money. When you do return a premium, it's usually an embedded return of about 6% on the money in most of the plans. I don't know if this one gave an embedded return. But so the I reason should... they can give it is most people never make it, not life-wise, but in terms of paying the premiums for a full three decades. So if you're really the kind of person who's always going to make sure the premium's paid, it's to your advantage normally to do return a premium because other people who don't keep their policies long enough are subsidizing you. Susie is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Susie. How you doing? Hi there, Clark. I am doing fabulously, and how are you? Great, great. You've got a story awesome. you want to share with me about a bank. 
I well, yes, a credit union actually, and it's a revisit because I had talked to you some time ago, and I had a credit union that wanted to become a bank. For oh, you know I don't and, yeah, like you those. Very, you were, I know you were very upset, and so. Um, I kind of waited, and they did their little vote, and they voted not by a huge amount, but they did vote to become a bank. Yeah. So I was depressed and looking around for other things to do. And a few months later, they sent letters out and said, well, we've kind of changed our mind. We're not going to be a bank anymore. We're going to go back to being a credit union. Turns out that some of the biggest people who were members had said they were going to withdraw all their money. Well, isn't that people power great? You know, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people... You would like to hear that. Yeah, you know, a lot yeah. of people that were voting probably didn't understand how awful it is when a credit union becomes a bank, and um, I sure do because I know how different the culture is of a bank versus a credit union, and usually right. those are sweetheart deals for insiders, often board members of a credit union, when they do that conversion to a bank, there's nothing good about it for the members. And how neat that they abandoned that effort and remained a credit union. Isn't it wonderful? I just thought you would like to know that there was a happy ending to that story. That is wonderful. I appreciate you sharing that because there, there were quite a few moves to convert credit unions to banks a few years ago. It's not happening a lot now because I guess the word's getting out how terrible it is when that takes place. Joel? Yeah, Clark, we got an Ask Clark here from Lynn. She wants to know, when is a good time or how do I know when the right time is to switch from having full coverage on my car or to liability? So generally, as a, as a rule, when the cost of collision and comprehensive for a year, you know, if you pay every six months double that, pay monthly times 12, when that for a year exceeds 10% of the remaining value of the car, that's usually the point at which you dump collision and comprehensive. Now, the exception is if you couldn't afford the cost of replacing a car if something really bad happened to it, you would avoid my rule or ignore it. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for tuning in to the Clark Howard Show today. And if you're like me, you like deals, well, we got our deal diggers hard at work at ClarkDeals.com that help you save money day in and day out. We work around the clock to find the best deals for your wallet. And they're on a variety of consumer items. Check out ClarkDeals.com.